Hello and welcome back to episode 4 of Citizen Dame, an all-lady podcast dedicated to all things film and television. Today I am Karen Peterson. Well, I'm Karen Peterson every day, but I'm also Karen Peterson today. But here with me is Lauren Humphreys-Brooks. Hello. And Kimberly Pierce. Hello. And we are missing our own Kristen Lopez because she is traveling this week. But I get to see her later on down a couple days from now, so I'm excited. Anyway, um, but to honor her, because we do miss her, we decided to start off today. Uh, She actually started a fun Twitter game on her own Twitter, which is your, who are your foundational five? The five people that you first had a crush on in film and television. And so I thought we could each just throw out a couple of names from our list. So Lauren, who do you got? Well, I had a I had a weird group. Um, my the first crush that I really remember is Bing Crosby. Oh, uh, yes. I had a crush. I had a crush <laughs> on Bing before I knew what a crush was. Like I I don't remember how old I was, but it was very much like I really like him, and I don't know why, but I'm going to keep on watching every movie he's been in. So I just adored him. Uh, I'm nice. assuming it was The Voice. There was just something about The Voice. Oh, how uh, can you not love that voice? I mean, ab- yeah, absolutely. And and when he was a young man, he was very he was cute. He had a cuteness he, to him. Very cute, know. yeah. So it's him. Cary Grant was another big one for me, and um, Jeff Goldblum actually. Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park. Wow. Ah, okay. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how about you, Kimberly? Um, my first one that I can remember, kind of that same place before I knew what a crush was, was Patrick Duffy from Dallas. Was when that was. My parents still talk about like a three-year-old be running up to kiss the TV screen when Bobby Ewing was on. <laughs> That's adorable. <laughs> uh, somebody, oh. um, Bill Pullman was another one, um, like Independence Day years. Uh, and Paul McCartney was kind of really the trifecta for me. Nice. Oh. Well, my very first celebrity crush really, truly was Tom Cruise. It was 1986 and I was nine. So um, that one is absolutely true. And he remains my number one but a couple of other names um river phoenix was one that i adored and that was the first celebrity whose death just totally crushed me it was so sad when he died but then also another one that i threw onto my list was one that actually kind of embarrasses me given (laughs) what happened to him later down the road and that is kirk cameron (laughs) that's kind of a shameful (laughs) one now but he was actually the first celebrity I wrote a fan letter to. <laughs> but I still love growing pains. Anyway. All right. Well, we've got a lot, a lot to get into today. I wanted to start off by clarifying something from last week's episode when we were talking about Spider-Man. And this is actually going to lead into something else that we're talking about news-wise. But um, last week we were talking about Spider-Man and I said that the original three Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies were terrible. I didn't actually mean that. I meant that they were terrible in the way they portrayed women. But I actually liked the first two. The third one is is awful. Pretty much objectively bad. But the first two are good. As long as you don't pay too much attention to how they treat Mary Jane. So... Anyway, but that actually leads us into the first part of the news, which is revolving around the film Venom and a little bit more about what Sony is doing with that whole side of things. So, Lauren, why don't you talk to us a little bit about Venom and also Black Cat and Silver Sable? Well, the, the, one of the things that was brought to my attention actually just today 
by a very good friend of mine was that in talking about Venom last week, that, you know, Sony's building this, I guess, not really Spider-Man connected universe with Venom and a bunch of the other smaller figures that are connected to, to those characters. And they have, and so Sony has decided to make a movie of Silver and Black, which are two, let's see, I'm actually just just trying to catch up on this again. Digital Spy is describing Black Cat as a kind of less villainous version of Catwoman with probability field manipulation powers, which sounds incredibly cool. Uh, But what's really interesting about this is that they have signed on an African-American director named Gina uh, Prince-Bythewood, who also did Beyond the Lights, and directed the first episode of Marvel's new show Cloak and Dagger. So it's very interesting that we're getting a a female-centric superhero movie within kind of the Sony stable that is going to be directed by a woman of color, which, you know, that's that's pretty cool and awesome. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see that. Yeah, that is great news. And, you know, I would like to say, oh, hopefully Marvel's starting to catch up, but I think this is more of just a straight-up Sony property because they owned Spider-Man for years and they're leasing Spider-Man as a character to Marvel yeah, so Sony Sony doesn't really have any other franchises. Like, so they're they're try obviously seem to be trying with Venom and then with um, with this. They're trying to get they're trying to get some kind of into the franchise world, and they're doing that with much smaller characters, which we kind of I guess we kind of ripped on a little bit last week. But the more that I'm reading about it, it sounds more interesting as time goes on, particularly with this. Uh, with having this this uh, female superheroes and Marvel has not been doing great with that right now. I mean, we've it's got true. Captain Marvel coming up, but that's about it. Well, Captain and Captain Marvel's what's still another two years off. Yeah. So no. yeah, Marvel's they need to get things in gear, and it's I I believe there it must be getting close to shooting on that, but everybody else is kind of moving around them while they're staying pretty stationary. Yeah, and that seems to be the only f- major female character that they're doing anything with. Meanwhile, you know, we talked, I believe we talked last week about Black Widow and the fact that, you know, that she's just kind of sitting there being a member of the Avengers, but not really being an integral part of the Marvel Universe in any other way. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so in addition to this about this news about Black Cat and Silver Sable, we also have a little bit more about Venom, where, so last week we mentioned that Michelle Williams joined the cast, and this week they added Jenny Slate. So that should be good. Jenny Slate's, she's one of those, she's been around for a long time, but it feels like she just kind of came out of nowhere recently. I know, she's I'm just done... getting a feel for her myself. I'm yeah. very kind of underviewed on her work. Yeah, her first credits are from like 05, 07. So she's done some TV and video stuff, some short things, and then and then also some voice work over the years. So it's it's good to see that she's finally starting to get some bigger projects and getting her, her name out there because she really is talented. So. That'd be um, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so have some hope for that one. We'll see what happens. We'll follow that. Let's see. So then, speaking of casting news, this week we learned that Kate Winslet has joined the Avatar sequels. She'll be reuniting with James Cameron, who I think she has him to thank a little bit for where she's at today. Just, you know, a little a with that. A little bit. That little independent film she did with him back in the 90s. Um. <laughs> that, that has to be the only reason she's joining Avatar. I mean, come on. Right. <laughs> I mean, why else would she? She, doesn't, she definitely doesn't need the work at this no. point. 
she doesn't need to join a major franchise. Now, we don't know how many of the films she's signed on for. Right now, she's only listed as being in Avatar 2. But, yeah. So, she's going to be in that. How do we feel about about it? Any thoughts? I, I believe my thoughts when I saw that news was, why, Kate? Why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's either gratitude or a paycheck or both. Because I, I can't... Like, I mean, I, I still, I don't know why, however many Avatar movies we're now up to, what we're supposed to have, four total? I, I believe, is it five There's four now? sequels. Oh, oh, yeah, okay. Oh, That's God. Right. Yeah, it's four sequels, it'll be five films total. That's with, insane. With that, what, one billion dollar price tag? Uh-huh. Mm. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah, That's it just... is. <laughs> How many small films can we produce for that amount of money? Come on. How many countries can we feed in an <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> amount of money i mean come on but i mean i'm not i'm definitely not shaming hollywood for paying people because you know everybody's got to work but still it's like it wouldn't bother me so much if it wasn't the fact that i mean really who's asking for these sequels who has just been chomping at the bit for the last eight years begging for avatar 2 i will freely admit i have not seen the first avatar since it was in theaters that was the last time i watched it no me neither it's like recently after i guess after they finally announced it oh yeah it's really in production this is happening someone on twitter was like quote one line from avatar <laughs> i was like i don't even remember what the story was see it's, at, uh, I mean, at work we give unobtainium merciless crap oh that's right <laughs> oh, yeah that's right that's what it was called oh my god unobtainium no no so i mean south park was actually right about it it was it is dances with smurfs i mean that's <laughs> yeah that for one south park was right about something and they were right about that <laughs> dances with smurfs in fern gully i mean yep <laughs> so all right well we'll see maybe it'll be a giant fat paycheck for kate winslet again so we'll see if oscars come her way that way so let's see and then we had the rumor this week that gal gadot gal gadot Gadot i'm still not sure how to pronounce that that she is in talks to possibly be playing the bride of frankenstein in universal's dark universe if any of that goes forward well, we'll see. I think they're still planning on it. They've got... I mean, The Mummy, even though it was not well-received, it still made some money. It, it made its money, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Oh, it did. I didn't realize did, that The Mummy yeah. actually made made enough money to justify it, because they've not yeah. done well critically. I mean, they tried... Um, it was it Dracula Untold was supposed to be the first one, and then kind of petered out, and now they're saying that uh, that's not going to be involved with the Universal franchises at all. Right, yeah, they've the mon- set that aside, so. Yeah, and then the mummy got critically panned, but if they if, if it made its money, then thanks, <laughs> That's world. That's all that matters, you know that. Well, and I, f- <laughs> I feel like, honestly, because they announced that they were doing the Dark Universe before this came out, before the mummy came out, and I, th- I really think that a big part of that was so that they didn't, because they already knew that the mummy was going to turn out not to be so great. And they wanted to just say like, oh, but there, there's more. We're gonna, we're gonna do this better. I don't know. Well, they it's a packed, weird move, they but... packed the mummy so full. I just, I watched this finally mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago because I needed to see how bad it truly was. <laughs> and just watching, you know, packed full of all of the things that they hoped to do, from you know, Doctor Jekyll down to you see the creature from the Black Lagoon's, you know, fin in one scene. Mm-hmm. 
they they knew right from the get-go that they were going to make this a franchise yeah it's just at what point like why did they decide to announce it when they did and i think it was to get ahead of what they knew was going to be some troublesome press for the mummy but i don't know we'll see but anyway so uh, back to Bride of Frankenstein. So they had previously, when they announced the Dark Universe, they said that Javier Bardem was going to play Frankenstein. So when I heard the news that they were talking to Gal Gadot to play the Bride of Frankenstein, I, my first reaction after the whole mother thing was, isn't she too old to play his wife? Because <laughs> <laughs> she's like in her 30s. So, I mean, I don't know. But what do you think of, of that role? Well, now I'm a little confused because uh, when we're talking about the Bride of Frankenstein, are we talking about Dr. Frankenstein's wife or the monster's bride? Well, it's supposed to be a remake of the film, which so she would be the monster's right. bride. So she would be the monster's bride. Well, in that film, the monster's bride is there for a grand total of about four minutes. Right. So I, I'm assuming that they're going to expand that part if they're going to put someone like Gal Gadot into the middle of it. Oh, they would have to. Yeah. So I don't know, man. I, I, none of this makes sense to me. So what, I'm just I'm just sitting here confused. What constantly. confuses me is jumping into the Bride of Frankenstein when they haven't even, if they're going to franchise this, they haven't even introduced Frankenstein yet. It is a weird <laughs> move. Um, I think one of the reasons is they signed on Bill Condon to direct it. Bill Condon just did Beauty and the Beast right. earlier this year. And he has said that The Bride of Frankenstein, he considers it to be the best horror film ever made. So he's definitely a big fan of it. I think that part of the reason they decided to push forward on Bride of Frankenstein was probably to lock him in and get him to do it. It is a really bizarre way of going about building, like if they're really, if they're really serious about building this, you know, cin- the cinematic universe... It's an odd film to like, so you, so we've got the mummy and then they've got Bride of Frankenstein possibly. And then they're also going to do the invisible man. Right. Yep. And it's, it's weird. The it's... whole thing is weird. Yeah. And they've announced creature from the black lagoon as well, which is going to be stepped on a little bit as a result of um, the shape of the water, which is basically creature from the black lagoon only. Right. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's it's a very strange decision. I'm not exactly sure what Universal is doing. With some other studios, I might be like, well, I trust them. We'll see what happens. But with this, I'm scratching my head a little bit. So we'll see. But all right. And then we come to some more casting news. This week, it came out that Jared Leto will be playing Hugh Hefner. In a biopic directed by Brett Ratner. It's what the world I has been no clamoring reason. for. <laughs> yeah. I'm just I'm just sitting here hanging my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do we even want to talk about this? Like, I honestly don't even know what to say. Like, first of all, Jared Leto just needs to go back to singing and get off my movie screen, you know? (laughs) But uh, what do you guys think about this project, this casting, any of it? I mean, I wrote, I I wrote my master's thesis on 1953 and kind of looked at it through a lens looking at Kinsey and Playboy and all of that coming out of the same year. And I 
find that period absolutely fascinating. And I would probably, if a film were done well looking at kind of that era, like the founding of Playboy, I would definitely probably go see that. Now, Jared Leto in that project, I, I and then Ratner tied to it as well, I, I, no. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it is one of those things that, you kind of look at it, you go like, well, the, there are angles at which it could be interesting or it could at least be decent or, a, a, you know, unique examination, like you're saying, of the time period or the, the phenomenon of Playboy and of Hefner as an icon. Right. But you have to have one, you have to have a director that is able to handle that kind of thing, which Ratner is not. not no. You know, even someone like Scorsese would be able to handle that, I think, with more eloquence. And then Leto, who is just so insufferable in everything that he has been in. I, I don't, I don't, like, I, unless he's going to play Hugh Hefner as, like, this villain that nobody likes, which could be kind of interesting, I just have no idea what the point is of this movie. Unless, basically, like, the, my one prediction is that it's going to be this kind of aggrandizement of Hefner's, you know, the foundations of Playboy and Hefner's womanizing and like all of all of the stuff that has been talked about about him i doubt that this is going to be a a searing docudrama investigating the realities of hugh hefner or anything like that yeah my suspicion is that this is going to try to paint him in a very sympathetic very um adoring light and i have some issues with that that's the only way Mostly i could because see it, i want to punch jared leto <laughs> <laughs> And we'll talk more about Jared Leto in a little while when we get to Blade Runner. <laughs> so, all right. So, let's move on from news. So, before we get into the big news about Harvey Weinstein, I wanted to just mention we got a we were we received a tweet from Maria Sullivan at Recipe. And she said, did you know when you started the podcast a month ago that you would have so much shitty male behavior to discuss so soon slash frequently? And it's funny when when I saw that tweet from her because I had just been thinking that same day about how we started. This is our fourth episode. And the very first week we started off talking about Devin Faraci. And then the next week the news came about Harry Knowles. And then... And now this has come out in the last week and then the Andy Signore thing too. And it's just been just this torrent. And I thought, you know, it's it's really interesting that this has all just come about in sub- such succession. So quickly. It has been so quickly. It's been all right, right, one thing after the other. And it, it almost feels like the dominoes are falling, you know. And it's starting to make me think, like, maybe finally... We will start to see some movement in the right direction, but I'm still a little bit afraid to get too optimistic about that. But um, just to bring everybody up to the same page, so this week, well, on Friday, I think is when the news broke, the New York Times article came out. It was, okay, so Friday, the New York Times, Jody Cantor and Megan Tuohy published an article in the New York Times about Harvey Weinstein and how he had for decades been sexually harassing and in some cases assaulting women over the years. There are a lot of stories, a lot of details came out and he had been quietly paying them off on his own 
to make those cases go away. And that is a big reason why we've never heard about them. Last year, there was a, an article that, an interview Ashley Judd had given, and she referenced something having happened to her, but she declined to name the person. And she was a big part of this New York Times article because she finally came right out and said it was Harvey Weinstein that did this to her. Uh, and her story took place in the Peninsula Beverly Hills Hotel in L.A. in his room. And some terrible things happened I don't really want to get into. Not the specifics. But I think we should start off this discussion just in general. Both Lauren and Kimberly, whoever wants to go first, like, what were your initial reactions or thoughts when you when you first heard this story? Total lack of surprise. I'd echo that. <laughs> I mean, it was one of those I guess it was it's similar I mean, all of these all of these things that have come out are of a piece. Because it's very similar to, to the reaction that I had to the Devin Faraci stuff, to the Harry Knowles stuff. Just like, well that makes sense. You know, just the the whole, the male attitude, the personas that these guys have had, the attitudes that they've had, and then, and I know that when the Ashley Judd uh, interview happened, I, I didn't realize that that was only last year. Yeah. Um, I remember thinking, like, at, there, or there were a lot of people saying, like, oh, it's, it, it's probably Weinstein. Like, there were rumors that, that, that it was him to begin with, public rumors. And so, again, when it was like, oh, and he was the guy that Ashley Judd was talking about, just like, yeah, makes sense. All right. Yeah, totally get it. And just everything. It's just like, this is a pattern. This happened over the course of 30-some years. Uh, it's all the same kind of behavior. And it's also all of a piece with his behavior in terms of bullying people, objectifying people, treat, you know, beyond sexual harassment, also just treating people badly. So, yeah, no surprise. Really, I had not. I had not heard as many of the the rumors. It was more just when I read it. It was just sheer disappointment that you know, here we go, and just surreal. Just how this keeps coming and coming. And I recall saying to a, a conversation with somebody, you know, you know, this is going on so far. This is going, you know this needs to stop we need to they need to right their ship you know we need to start calling this the problem that it is mm -hmm. absolutely you know i mean i echo what you guys are saying my initial reaction i was definitely not surprised but the first thing i thought was finally and it mm -hmm. was really weird it was like it was like it clicked in a place that i had always known this about him even though i really didn't exactly but it just felt like I'm glad this is finally out and these women that have been victimized over the years, their stories are finally coming out and they're being believed. And I just, I felt so grateful for them for being willing to come forward. There were a lot of people, of course, that were like, why didn't they talk sooner? And I just, oh, I about lost my mind because I was like, there are so many reasons why women don't come forward. And, you know, I'm you know, shout out, kudos to the two ladies who wrote this story and who persisted on getting this information out there because it couldn't have been easy to not only compile all this information, but to get these women, some of them, to be willing to even come forward and, and participate in it. So it's, it, uh, I don't know, this is just, 
I really hope that this is the beginning of some major changes. One of the things that frustrates me though is that you know I mean I see so many people jumping out to condemn and I'm glad about it but it just makes me wonder how many of them are guilty of other similar things and are just you know oh no that's terrible even though they're you know they're just as bad. Well what I was just gonna say what frustrated me beyond belief today was how many people are stepping up to make their heartfelt you know, well-worded statements today. The day after, you know, all of this, he got what, he lost his job last night. So now that he's out, everybody, oh, now we'll step out and say something. You know, I yeah. understand the fear of it and the psycho, you know, he's was he's such a big figure in this industry, but so they wait until he was out of the way to finally speak. So if he hadn't have lost his position... You know, who's to say how many of these statements would not have been made and the problem just stays under, you know, under wraps. That's absolutely true. One thing, though, that I got really frustrated by was how many people this morning were going, well, where's Meryl Streep? Why hasn't she condemned this? Yeah. What have, you mm -hmm. know, and like going after these women and finally Meryl came out and she's like, not everybody knew about this. I didn't know about it, you know, and, and, you know, don't go after the women who didn't know anything go after the men who did know something i i hate to throw him under the bus because i absolutely love him and respect him as a filmmaker james gunn's statement today he he talks about hearing the rumors and all of that and it's it frustrated me well it's it's again it seems to all be at the same kind it's the same kind of response like all of these things that have happened it's the same sort of thing where something comes out so so a woman or a group of women are brave enough to actually finally say yes i was assaulted i was harassed i was raped and and then suddenly it's just like well well i knew and oh yeah i knew too and everybody knew and and that's what it feels like with weinstein obviously on a much bigger scale than than anything else that has happened you know within the past month or so of like suddenly everybody's like well but everybody knew about this I'm just like so wait a minute so you knew for 10 15 20, 20 years, years and and you never did anything about it i mean or you did something but maybe it was a really minor thing like just kind of leaning over to your female companion being like hey don't be in the same room with him right uh and yeah. that's that's incredibly problematic and and it's it's happening it's happening at every level so you've got filmmakers that, that are the the caliber of james gunn uh, and the clout of James Gunn being like, oh, yeah, I knew about this. Mm -hmm. And and they were, they're supposed to get a cookie for it. Well, and that's what's so strange to me is that they're admitting that they knew and didn't do anything to protect anybody. And it's like, wait, why are we supposed to be proud of you for speaking out against him now? Like, if you knew about it, why didn't you say something about it? Why didn't you do something about it? Yeah. You know, why did people let this go on for so many years? I mean, it's different with... You know, I mean, we all have people in our lives that if people accuse them of something, we may be like, oh, that might be true. But, you know, you don't necessarily want to believe it about people that you know. But when you know that it happened, how can you not say something? Yeah, exactly. Particularly if you're in a position of power. And that's one of the issues that uh, it was sort of pointed out in, in talking about Meryl Streep's statement. That, you know, Meryl Streep never experienced this. I'm just like, well, of course she didn't. Because she was Meryl yeah, Streep. Yeah. He's not going to play those kind of games with someone like Meryl Streep. 
But he exactly. is going to do it with young actresses, with, with people that are dependent on him in some way or that he can offer something to. He has to meet Meryl Streep at some level on, on the same playing field. He has to. Exactly. He has to use his power. He doesn't have yeah. the same power with Meryl Streep as he does with a 23-year-old actress who's brand new to town. Yeah, and that's and that's what it all comes down to. It's and this has been said so many times. It's just exhausting that it is about power. It isn't really. Uh, it's not about sex. It's not about attraction. It's really like him and a lot of guys like him getting off on the fact that they have this degree of power over women, and they want to exercise it. They want to show that they have that power and that control. And it's along the same lines as the fact that everybody knew Weinstein was a bully. And that's what bullies do. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he was also an abuser and a harasser is is not surprising, but it, it's also, I mean, it, I guess it's the straw that broke the camel's back, finally. Right. But yeah, he's out. <laughs> yeah. So that's something. <laughs> so, and I've heard that the company is now looking to change the name, which is <laughs> probably, probably good. a good move. One thing I saw, I'm trying to find it right now so that I can give proper credit, but... Someone tweeted earlier that to, that they feel that it's not enough just to you know fire Weinstein because I mean let's face it they fired him not because they found out but because we found out that yeah. this was going mm-hmm. on this was to save their company this wasn't to you know rid the world of this terrible problem or Hollywood at least this was because they wanted to save themselves. And I can't find the the tweet, but... They're not sorry it happened. They're sorry they got caught. Exactly. And that we keep seeing that so often. It's the same with Farachi. It's the same with Harry Knowles, who still is tweeting every freaking day, by the way. Don't even get me started on that. And then Andy Signore, who also lost his job this week with Screen Junkies. Um, But again, just because they got caught and they couldn't protect him anymore. And that's why he's out, too. Yeah, and according, but, um, according to the, the accuser, their HR department knew about this for months. Mm-hmm. They, they knew and they hadn't done anything and then suddenly it became public. And yep. it, and oh, the next, within like a day, he's been fired. And, and that's, yeah, that's transparent. But that's why people have said this off and on for the, like the past month, month and a half. God, even for the past year, uh, this is systemic. This is not a couple of people. This is, this is not an individual that we can just get rid of and we, you know, purge the toxins. This is a problem that goes right down to the bone. And that's what has to be changed. The culture has to be changed. Because otherwise, this shit, it's going to keep on happening. This is a problem that goes back to the roots of Hollywood. How, oh, yeah. I mean, the casting couch, how many decades, you know, since the 1920s, 1910s, we've heard about this. It just continues. Yeah. Well, I remember, I guess it was probably when his, when he released his book, Corey Feldman, several years ago, started opening up about the way a lot of young boys are treated mm-hmm. in yeah. Hollywood. And I remember a lot of people were like, I wonder if this really happened. I don't know. He did a lot of drugs. I'm sure he was asking for it or whatever. And I remember I never even thought to not believe him because he just said it so matter-of-factly, like, this is just something everybody knows about what's going on. I thought, this has to be true, you know? And the things that are happening to women, the things that are happening to children in this industry, it's it's appalling. And, you know, I think that, I think one of the things that is starting to change this 
culture is the fact that women are getting more involved in higher positions in all across the board. And I think as we see that happening and women stepping in, the men are not in as, you know, well-placed of positions to be able to continue to do some of these things. And now they're starting to come out. And I hope that, I hope that we just see more of these, you know, like I was saying earlier, more of these dominoes starting to fall and that eventually this is just not normal. And we can, you know, if these stories come out again, like I'd like to get to a point where we're surprised that it's happened, you know? Yeah. Any other thoughts? Any, I want to make sure that everybody says everything they want to say about Weinstein before we move on. So I think, I think I'm covered. (laughs) What about Signore in general or anybody else? That one didn't surprise me at all. I had been, just looking at the Screen Junkies stuff, I'd been watching a, a video of theirs. You can just smell the bro coming off of some of those videos. That is really well said. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, well, I mean, I guess just we just really want Hollywood to do better. And just to any women that are listening to this that have been victimized by Harvey or anybody reach out to somebody even if you just you know reach out to us send us an anonymous email Mm -hmm. or or whatever you know reach out to somebody and let them know and let's get you get your voice heard and let people know that this is happening because it needs to stop on every level Mm -hmm. so all right so let's go into something a little bit less icky um, eh. A little bit less. A <laughs> <laughs> little bit. A eh, little, little bit. <laughs> so Blade Runner 2049 came out this week. On Friday, it underperformed at the box office, but it still was number one with $31 million. And I don't know, I personally think that it wasn't just that people didn't expect it to be a good movie. As far as the performance at the box office, I think part of it was recent events in the news I think people weren't feeling up to it and I also wonder how many people out there saw the original and care about the original because this is a sequel to a movie that came out 35 Mm -hmm. years ago so now Lauren I know you said that you didn't get a chance to see it but have you seen the original yes not only have I seen the original I think I've seen every version of the original nice really all 55 of them all yeah all like 201 (laughs) yeah what I I believe, are there three or four original versions of the I original? I have heard there are five. Five, okay. <laughs> well, I think, I believe that I have seen four, but I think the, you know, the, the general consensus seems to be that the director's cut is the most complete. Is that the one that's like three hours? They are apparently all are about, all the, about same the same running time. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah there's, there's, one, there's one that was like the theatrical release... And I honestly, like, I'm not up on my Blade Runner lore completely, so forgive me if I make a mistake. The the theatrical release, there's one in which there's a voiceover from Deckard, mm-hmm. the entire film. There's another one that's basically the same film, but without the voiceover. And then I believe there's right. the third and the fourth ones are like, there's an extended version and there's a, or there's like a final cut and there's a director's cut. The director's cut came out in 97, I believe, for the... I don't know what would that be 15th anniversary and then the final cut came out for like the 25th anniversary which has some different endings attached to it and different like there are a couple of different scenes and stuff like that anyways I like the film it's a fun film it's a well-made film 
whichever version of it you watch. Uh, definitely the one without the voiceover. Yeah. It's it's one of those films though that like I mean I I was I think I joined with the majority when it came out that everyone that they were going to make a, a sequel. I was like, why? You know, it's a good film. It's a it's it's very well done. You know, it's classic. It's got all these wonderful cinematic references. It's very moving. It's very heartfelt. It's a it's a good piece of art. It has no need to have a sequel attached to it. There's no story to continue, really. So, so yeah, so I enjoy the first one, but I don't I have no idea why we're talking about Blade Runner 2049, except that a lot of people seem to like it. So, yeah, that's the thing. It didn't do great at the box office, but the people who've seen it have been very praiseful of it. So, Kimberly, what are your thoughts about the original Blade Runner? When did you see it? What was your experience? Um, I saw it a number of years ago. I am not as caught up on my Blade Runner lore. I've seen the original cut, and I have yet to see the other versions. However, I'm very intrigued at to do something there, to look at kind of everything together and write something about it. I am I I love the aesthetic of it. I thought the original was just an absolutely beautiful film. I love the look. I love the settings, kind of everything about it. But that was kind of where my expertise ended. I know I know know the story. I could speak a little bit to it. So I was walking in more I was walking in a little more blind to this one. I but I'm also with the majority in that we're on this path of just remaking everything. I think in the review I wrote about it, you know, I mentioned, you know, this is, you know, how many years ago was this? 25, 30 years. We're getting a sequel to Mary Poppins next year. These movies right. that are 35, 40, 50 years old, why do we need to make sequels? Now, in defense of Mary Poppins, slightly, there was a whole series of books. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little bit more okay with that one. But I agree with you. Yeah, my experience with Blade Runner was actually kind of strange because I, it was one of those movies that I had just never gotten around to seeing it I don't know why I just never did everyone has those you know those weird movies that you're kind of ashamed to admit you've never (laughs) seen it and you just sometimes kind of pretend that you have (laughs) I've got my fair share I understand (laughs) okay (laughs) but uh and Blade Runner was one of those for me and a couple of years ago I finally was like all right I'm gonna sit down and watch this and so I did and I don't know which version I watched I think it was the director's cut at the time, I thought it was the theatrical cut, and then everyone started saying something about the terrible narration. I was like, I don't remember any narration, so I must not have watched the theatrical version. But I think because I watched it so much later than everyone else, and I'd only heard how amazing and groundbreaking it was, I had a harder time with it. I felt like it dragged in some places. I just, I didn't find Harrison Ford all that compelling. I thought that Rucker Howard's Roy Batty was incredible, but overall it just, I don't know, it didn't do a whole lot for me. I didn't think it was bad by any stretch of the imagination, but I just, I don't know, I just didn't fall in love with it. But now that this has come out, I'm realizing I really do want to go back and revisit that. So, But Kimberly, why don't you share a little bit about your thoughts on 2049? I had to kind of split... I saw it through two kind of perspectives i thought i'll I'll start with the positive in that apps i thought it looked absolutely stunning there were so many places there where i thought the the look of it the lighting the lenses just 
it was absolutely beautiful and did very similar things to what I liked about the original. And that, you know, that helped carry me through at the two hour and 45 minute runtime. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't have any particular qualms about the story. I was glad for some twists. I was kind of sitting back in the first hour going, man, if this goes the way I think it's going to go, I'm going to be really annoyed. And thankfully it didn't. But I... As it, you know, keeping going, the, and we've, I've talked about it since with people, the, the treatment of women in the film, I thought was just appalling on every level, from the sexualizing to the violence to just even the development of the female characters. I thought it was appalling. You know, what's funny about that is I've had conversations with a couple of different male critics in the last few days and they've all been like oh no it was great it was great treatment of women look there was a woman that was you know you know a major character that and I'm like you guys really just don't get it (laughs) (laughs) it's just because there were great female performances there were they were but uh, character wise I'm not sure and I don't know how much we want to go into that because a lot of details I think would be major spoilers. I mean, in but... short of giving spoilers, I know when I was writing my review, I was having I was having a hell of a time picking out. I had to go through IMDb and start looking at pictures because I couldn't remember, you know, this character I don't some of those character names I don't recall being said hmm. at the time. Oh, I remember the name. See, I yeah. it was not jumping out to me in the slightest. Yeah, it definitely does not come close to passing the Bechdel test. No, far, far from it. <laughs> Cause, right, because none of the women actually speak to each other. Oh, for God's I sake. I guess technically two of well, them Yeah, there is, there is one, point, one But they're talking scene. about one of the guys, so... <laughs> yeah. Overall, though, I felt like this was a, a good movie. I thought a lot of it was, was very good. The cinematography was amazing. Yeah. And if Roger Deakins, if Roger Deakins does not get an Oscar for this, I don't think he ever will. I mean, it needs to be there in some technical categories. I will be honestly yeah. surprised if it's not. Oh yeah, I mean, you can already mark it down for sound, for visual effects, possibly for costume, definitely cinematography, even maybe score. A lot of people think it could find its way into the best picture a la Mad Max Fury Road. It's possible. We'll see what happens. I don't think it's winning best picture, but you know, it could definitely, it definitely deserves a place in the conversation, but one of the problems that I had, there were two major problems that I had with it. One was the runtime. I felt like it was way too long and there wasn't anything that I necessarily, any scenes that I necessarily would have cut out but there are definitely scenes I would have shortened. Like in the casino with the holograms. Oh, see, I loved that sequence. I thought that was, I just, I got so pulled into the aesthetic of that. Really? That was the time when I started looking at the time. Like, how much longer is this movie? Oh my gosh, there's still another hour? (laughs) See, I was thinking of the runtime really early on. There's Ryan Kay and the female his female companion joy yeah step out onto the balcony you know really early on and it's you could see the you could almost see the film just loving how it looked 
it's mm-hmm. just soaking in its own aesthetic. You just have to, you're sitting there and just looking at everything and everything that's going on and this beautiful look. And that, I f- felt the runtime was in just the sequences like that. Cause you have instances like that throughout the movie where it's just look how pretty we are and look how beautifully this is shot. Yeah, it's definitely, um, I mean, all the the praise for this definitely goes to Deacons and to the visual effects team, because they're definitely the stars. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ryan Gosling is pretty to watch, but he's not the star of the movie. Roger Deakins, I think, is. so. But the other problem that I had with this movie... So, Kimberly, let's talk about Jared Leto. <laughs> I was going to ask. I was going to ask, what about Jared Leto? <laughs> I want to know. Oh, man. You really don't, Lauren. You really don't. <laughs> I mean, part of my issue going into this was knowing that they originally wanted David Bowie to play that part. And so I just felt so frustrated <laughs> that we got stuck with Jared Leto because I would love to have seen Bowie in that role. It was like it was like that part was written for him. Mm-hmm. And, oh, man. And... I mean, you know, we've talked about Leto and his method acting thing. And it's like, for some actors, you know, that works for them. But for him, it really makes him have this tendency to overact everything. And it just, I don't know, it just drives me nuts. What did you think of his cadence and his speech? I, well, I was, I was speaking with the movie about some other people after the fact. And I have yet to speak to a person who wasn't absolutely thrilled at the length of his part. <laughs> That's there true. Was, there was he is only such, in two scenes. Yeah, there was so. such dread that he was going to be in much more of the movie. That he was in such a brief period of time was met with just such glee by multiple <laughs> people I know in and outside of film circles. Mm-hmm. I was re- reminded of every other Jared Leto performance I've seen. It's... it I can't he gets a very visceral reaction from me and it's just I have a very hard time watching him very hard time listening to it I can't hit the nail on the head as to why there's just something about him that I don't like yeah well yeah me too and it's like I feel like there was a time when I thought he was okay but I know a lot of my friends he was on most my so-called life right that that was where that was when that's where he got his popular break and I know a lot of people I know will still go you know that still gets a swoon yeah and it's like okay but that was 25 years ago Mm -hmm. like what has he done since then that was worthy of him still being this like heartthrob guy to you and I just I don't get it I I don't see it I don't get it either (laughs) yeah and so yeah I mean luckily he was only in two scenes now they were long scenes and his character is very central to the plot of the movie but thankfully they really dialed it back with him and didn't give him too much screen time because I think that it would have really really detracted from the film I mean the two scenes that he's in are very impactful but I felt so pulled away by just the way he was speaking and that weird like not really an accent but sort of an accent that he was taking on and that just weird manner of speech it really, it was really bothersome for me, but. See, my, my focus during the, the kind of the main scene I'm thinking of with him, I was just, I found it so uncomfortable. I was kind of more focusing on the female character in the scene. Are you talking about the scene with or without Harrison Ford? Uh, without Harrison Ford. Okay. Um, yeah. The, 
scene in the very beginning and mm-hmm. or I, it could have been an hour the in, first time we meet yeah him, it yeah. could have been an hour into the film I was having very a very hard time keeping track <laughs> could be 15 <laughs> minutes could be an hour and the and a just tr- trying to speak carefully here to avoid spoilers but just i found the scene very uncomfortable very with the sexualization in there a few other things that mm-hmm. it just made i mean it could have been maybe him and just the way it was played but i was found myself so distracted and so uncomfortable by that scene who knows that could have been the theatrical intent in which case they did a damn good job i feel like that was the intent but I th- I think I felt a little bit more sensitive to it because of the fact that it was Jared Leto <laughs> playing that part. Hmm. So I don't know. But overall, would you recommend this movie or tell people not to see it? Or what are your final thoughts? I said, I if you're looking for, as long as you don't need quick pace, you know, as a popcorn film, if I hadn't been watching it from the perspective that I was looking for it, You know, I could have had, you know, it can be a very fun film. I think I said style, it's very style over substance. is gorgeous cinematography that should definitely win it an Oscar. It's definitely a film to enjoy. It's delving below the surface, maybe not so much. But I, I would recommend it for certain audiences. Yeah, I think certain audiences is a good way to put it. Because I think there's definitely... There are definitely a lot of people who would enjoy it and who should see it. And I think that anybody who's even remotely interested in it should just, you know, just go. go see yeah. it. Go, yeah, go watch it. And it's definitely not a bad movie. I, I thought it was good. And in some points, I thought it was actually very brilliant and definitely lovely. I think I maybe am a little bit more favorable toward this plot than you were. I felt like there was some substance there. But I think that part of the problem was the pacing and it just took so long to get to some of it. And there were so many red herrings that it was really hard to stay focused on it. So I don't know. But yeah, I definitely recommend it. And I think anybody who who likes just gorgeous visuals will just eat this. Definitely. Yeah. So all right. Well, Lauren didn't get to see Blade Runner 2049 yet, but she did get to spend the last week at NYFF and has some awesome and maybe not as awesome movies to talk about. So Lauren, what you got? Uh, I'll just do a quick rundown of some of the films that I have liked and some that I have not liked even remotely. I will start with one of the ones that I, one of the most recent ones that I just hated. Uh, And I actually saw this even prior to New York Film Festival, but it it premiered at Cannes. It is one of the most disappointing films I have seen this year, Wonderstruck. Really? Yes, really. And so, you know, and opinion's a little bit divided on this, so this might just be me, this might just be my curmudgeonly hatred of things. But one of the problems that I had with this, so it's, it's a very interesting concept. It's two parallel stories of two different children who basically run away to New York City. One of them is in 1927, the other one is, ni- is in 1977. They both run away to New York City, and they both wind up at the Museum of Natural History for different reasons. So the idea is really interesting. The, the, par- the story set in 1927 is actually supposed to be filmed in silent film style, so there's no sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's filmed in black and white. So again, really cool concept. It's based on Brian Selznick's book. You know, and we had Hugo, which was a great Selznick film, and this just is messy. 
it's in places it's boring it kind of squanders all of the all of the concepts that it introduces like so for instance with the silent film uh technique rather than actually filming it in a silent film aspect ratio and treating it as a silent film he still filmed it in like 35 out anamorphic so you've got this weird sort of modern look to it almost it, it looks like it looks like a tv movie that has been filmed in black and white oh being done in in like sort of silent film style but even then um todd haynes directed it todd haynes doesn't really follow through on that meanwhile the the story that is set in 1977 is very convoluted it's very confusing there are all of these parallels that are running between the two stories but I hate to say it, I saw the plot twists coming from a mile away because they were Hallmark movie plot twists. Fantastic. <laughs> and so I just, like, visually, it, there there's a lot going for it. But even then, like I say, the silent film stuff just didn't work. There are several shots of, like, exhibits in the Museum of Natural History that are, they look like postcards. There is nothing, there's nothing cinematically interesting about them. Just like, we now have still photographs of the Museum of Natural History. Great. I took, I could have taken those when I was 10. Uh, so yeah, nah, it, it really is just a waste of a good concept. So yes, Wonderstruck, no, no, no just skip it. Just don't even, don't even deal with it. But the two other films that I, I recently saw at the New York Film Festival and that I loved, Lady Bird. Good, which has been, so excited for that one. It's, it's been getting great reviews and it absolutely deserves every one of them. Gehrig is brilliant. She's she's constructed a story that really makes you feel it reminded me of being a teenage girl and it reminded me of all of those awkward and funny and confusing high school experiences that you go through in one form or another uh Saoirse Ronan is brilliant she's funny she's completely believable as a 17 year old and but really the revelation for me and I've always appreciated her as a comedian and I've never really I feel bad because I've never really appreciated her as an actress is Laurie Metcalf who plays Lady Bird's mother and as the film goes on you begin to realize that this isn't just a film about Lady Bird this is a film about her mother and about her relationship with her mother and the intensity of it and the love that's there but also the anger and the resentment that's there and it's it really is a brilliant performance from Metcalf. I hope she gets an Oscar nomination. I don't expect it. But it's it's a beautiful film all around. And even when I was writing my review earlier this week, I was trying to think of something to criticize about it, and I could not come up with anything, uh, which I think says a lot Yeah. <laughs> about the quality of the film. So yes, definitely. It's going to be a big film. People are going to go see it. Go like When it comes to your neighborhood, go see it. Well, for what it's worth, Laurie Metcalf is currently in my predictions for supporting actors. I'm hearing Go that more it. and more. It's I would not be surprised at all if we see her come from somewhere to get one. It would be great. And I, and Garrig is, this is her first solo directing feature. Um, she's kind of, even in the press conference that I went to, she talked about how she's basically done everything else in in cinema so directing a film on her own is kind of the next logical step it really is a mature movie this does not feel like a first feature this does not feel like someone who is just you know experimenting or trying different things this is it's a it's tight it's in like an hour and a half like i say i can't i'm certain that if i watched this film several more times i would find something to criticize about it but just on first viewing no 
That's great news. And then the final film that I want to reference, and I know that we're going to talk about it at some other point as well, because, again, it's going to be one of those Oscar contenders, Call Me By Your Name. Kristen is so jealous that she's not going to talk about this. <laughs> and, and I have no doubt that this will come up again. Yeah, it's, it's, it is as good as everyone has been saying. It's, it's lyrical, it's erotic, it's emotional. It's um, this very universal story that is also obviously very personal. And, and I do have to mention another actor who deserves an Oscar nomination, not beyond just the two leads, uh, is Michael Stolberg, who plays the younger man's father. He gives the best speech in the entire film. And it's one of those speeches that could have come off as very cliche, that could have wound up being this like, you know, Oh, this is young love. You know, you and you'll you'll have you'll experience other things in your life. But it is actually the best piece of advice I've ever heard a cinematic father give his son. And at that point was when I began crying during that film. Uh, so yeah, it's a beautiful film. It's gorgeously gorgeous cinematography, great language, great relationship between the leads, and uh, again the. The only thing I could find to, to really find fault with is that at times it feels a little overlong. It feels like there are scenes that maybe go on for a little bit too long, or, but it, it all kind of contributes to the entire experience of the film, which is also very much just about this beautiful summer that these two men get to experience together. Interesting. Well, thank you so much for that. Yeah, Kristen's totally jealous that she hasn't gotten to see it yet, and everyone else has. But I haven't either, so she doesn't need to be that yeah, jealous. We're getting, we're getting it at the uh, Denver Film Festival next month. I'm really excited. I suspect it's coming to AFI, so I'll probably get to see it too. So, Well, thank you so much. Anything else that you wanted to mention from NYFF? Anything we should be looking for? Uh, there have been a couple interesting smaller films I got to see. Um, Vanessa Redgrave made a sort of interesting and, and uh, slightly bizarre documentary called Sea Sorrow, which is about the refugee crisis, which is, is definitely worth checking out. I think it's more, um, it is almost more a call to arms than anything else uh, about just, particularly for Europeans, um, about the degree to which Europe has basically been failing refugees, but certainly you know, her focus is Europe, but certainly uh, America falls under that as well, probably yeah, even more so. Problem, so. Yeah. And, and then I also saw um, uh, Claire Denise's latest film, uh, Let the Sun Shine In, with Juliette Binoche, which is also very good. Quite a different movie. A lot of movies about intense relationships at this year's festival. Yeah, interesting. Well, thank you so much for that. Kimberly, did you see anything lately that you wanted to give a shout out to? Uh, right now, no. I'm just kind of in the build up to Denver. So getting really excited for that. Um, just in terms of theatrical, I'm really looking forward to Goodbye, Christopher Robin. I'm thinking that's limited next week, maybe wide the week after. So I'm hoping to be able to catch that. I'm sobbed during the entire last version of the trailer. So I, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, cool. Well, I just wanted to mention to you last night, I watched the HBO documentary Spielberg. That is great. Which, I, did, I saw that oh, Friday night. Yes. Yes, I loved it so much. And it was, it was like reliving all the best parts of my childhood. <laughs> it was just delightful. And it was like, you know, we're so used to, narr I think, more narrative 
documentaries now. This was really more of just like a retrospective of his life and his career, but it was it was great and it was directed by Susan Lacey. So yay, women directors. Woo. So all right. Is there anything else that we need to throw out there before we wrap this up? Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to us ramble and if you have any comments, questions, fun remarks, games, complaints, any of that, be sure to let us know on Twitter. We're at Citizen Dame Pod. Or on Facebook. We are Facebook.com slash Citizen Dame. Lauren, where can they follow you? Uh, you can follow me on at LH Business, uh, B-I-Z-N-E-S-S on Twitter. And I'm also on um, my blog at Suddenly a Shot Rang Out. Thank you. And Kimberly? You can find me at kpierce 624 on Twitter. All right, and I am at Karen M. Peterson on Twitter and Instagram, and from there you can find me other places too. And this week you can find me hanging out with Kristen Lopez, who is at journeys underscore film. So, all right. So for Kristen and Lauren and Kimberly and myself, thank you so much, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>